0: Hi, everybody. Good to see all of you. Resurrection Sunday, mm, one of my favorite times of year, and I am glad that you chose to be with us today. By the way, um, well, do you all feel like you worshiped? Whew, thank you. That thing you're feeling, um, that's called Holy Spirit, right? It's not just emotion. There's his presence is in the room. That's really cool. I'm glad because if he's not here, there's really no point to be here. So I'm glad that he is, and I'm glad that you're here to enjoy him, and he is here to enjoy you because that is the relationship. And uh, as I was kind of worshiping, I got a real strong sense that um, God wants to do some things today. I don't know what they are. He has not revealed that to me, but I suspect that it has to do with some things that are going on inside of people's hearts and um, <clears throat> we'll just see what, what he has in mind as we go along. And by the way, um, if you uh, haven't been here in a while or you don't remember me, my name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff. And for the next 30 minutes or so, I'll be your guide, your Sherpa of Scripture, your Peter Cottontail of, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> That's just wrong on so many levels. <laughs> so anyway, um, one of the things that I've noticed as I read through all four of the biographies of Jesus <clears throat> When it comes to the day of resurrection, there's, there's several um, features of the story that are very common, and one of which, and, and it's one that I love uh, quite a bit, is the fact that on the third day, um, first of all, women make their way uh, to, the, to the tomb, and um, in each of the stories, it says that they were there early in the morning, early in the morning, e- every single time doesn't matter. And I love that because the poet tells us in Psalms that joy comes in the morning. I love that idea. I love thinking about that, that truly this is where the joy begins. And we've been following John's gospel this season of Lent. It's just been so rich. Um, I found myself having to edit so many times things out because there was just so much to it. And, and um I've really enjoyed this study, and today we're going to open chapter 20, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you may want to punch that in, chapter 20. Of course, I'll have it on the screen for you, but if you like to follow things along old school, which I recommend that you try to do, um, chapter 20 of John's Gospel is where we're going to be. And we, we open chapter 20 with Mary Magdalene finding the tomb in the morning with the entrance stone, the door wide open. Now, I want you to think about that just a little bit because remember, these are real people living real lives that don't have the benefit of reading the end of the story like you and I do. And I can't imagine what went through her mind. Actually, I can because I would would think about that myself as if I were walking there and there's an expectation that we have and to find it not being that way. And, And there's a certain amount of wonder to be sure, but also maybe a little bit of panic. I mean, you think about your emotions and there's a very good chance that Mary Magdalene felt that way too. And so what she does is she runs and she goes and she tells the disciples. And Peter and another disciple, most likely John, the author himself, take off, run to investigate the scene. Check things out. And these men saw the burial cloths and the emptiness of the tomb. And they went away, maybe a little bewildered. It doesn't necessarily say that in the text, but I I would suspect that there's a little head scratching going on. How about you? Like, what just happened? I find myself saying that a lot these days. What just happened? And the question, I think, comes down to each one of us, how would you feel under those circumstances? And, and again, with real people, there's a good chance they felt the same way. So how you would feel is probably very similar to how they would. <clears throat> but what I love in the story is that Mary Magdalene is not in a hurry to leave. In fact, the thing that she wants to do is she wants to find the body. I mean, I, I imagine there's a certain amount of, of aggravation that, that Peter and John actually left well, what, what, what are you doing? You're leaving. We gotta we got go find this. We gotta go, we got, we got figure this out. Just, I feel that with her. And so we're gonna pick up the story here in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, i got to tell you something. There's this little part of me it kind of cracks me up that the divine messengers show up after the fellas leave, right? Like, you're so impatient, look what you missed out on, right? Kind of a thing. I love that. I think that's a a cool little detail in the story, that here she gets to see it and the, the guys didn't. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. I don't know where they put him. Do you hear that emotion? so powerful. And then, at this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Oh my gosh, how many times does that happen to us? And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Now, I want to pause right there for just a second because that question is so profound. I was telling Lisa just this morning that that question has really uh, caught my attention because if you remember Friday night when Jesus is in in the process of being arrested and there's this group of soldiers, there's a whole group of them in front of him and he asks them, who are you looking for? Now, I can't develop this too much because I think I'm going to talk about it next year, okay? I think there's a little kernel of an idea in there that we need to develop. But the thing that I want you to understand, and this is, this is just kind of the thing I want to plant in your mind right now, is that who is it you are looking for is not just a question that he asks to marry. He's asking you the same question. Who are you looking for? Do you even know? Who are you looking for? It goes on... Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll go get him. I'll go get him. I, you know, I, I have no idea if you know she was a strapping woman or not. I have no idea, but she was willing to go and try to find him and pick him up and carry him and do whatever she needed to do. Just please just tell me. Just tell me. There's a desperation here, I think, in her voice. At least that's kind of how I read it. And Jesus said to her, Just her name, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them um, that he had said these things to her. And with, with that, believe it or not, Mary Magdalene becomes the first apostle. She is the apostle to the apostles. She has had Um, an encounter with the risen Lord and she is given a specific word, a specific message, a specific mission. Go and tell my brothers. This is what I'm doing. The apostle to the apostles. Don't miss that. Jesus raises the level of all mankind, women in particular. And we need to pause a moment here and we really need to do a quick recap because I think zooming out is going to help us see something. And I want you to see this, especially on this day. I want you to consider the view here. So think, think about this a little bit because <clears throat> we've read this story a hundred times. It's really easy to miss some of these little details. But first of all, this is happening in the morning. It's the cool part of the day and it's also the beginning of the day. It's in the morning, early in the morning, in fact. Mary sees this person that she believes to be a gardener. One who is charged with carrying and cultivating that which is planted. So we have a man and a woman in a garden. Where have I heard that before? Wait, wait a minute. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? It's supposed to. John is using something called the principle of first mention. He is deliberately choosing words and imagery in order for you to remember something else that occurred previously in the Bible. He is deliberately drawing your attention to the first few chapters of Genesis. I don't know about you, but I get little goosebumps when I think about that. And the question is, why would John do that? Why would John use this kind of imagery And I think what he's doing is he's taking the events of the resurrection and he's taking the events of the creation story and he's putting them in parallel with one another. And he's saying to you, hey, hey, this is like that. There is something cosmic that just has occurred something as powerful as creation just occurred in the resurrection. Oh, please pay attention to this. You do not want to miss this. It's not just the resurrection, but there is something even bigger that's happening. This moment of Jesus walking around is just like the cosmic implications of the creation story. This is like that. The first humans, of course, made a decision that plunged the world into sin and suffering that ultimately leads to death. And now, now, we have the picture of a man and a woman outside of an empty tomb. The curse of of, of Genesis chapter three is reversed. It's no longer there. The the death that Adam and Eve plunged us into is now reversed. We don't have that to be afraid of and the empty tomb is evidence of it. The curse is reversed and we get to live a different kind of life. Everything is changed. Creation is reset. This resurrection is as big as that first creation. Don't miss the parallel. That's big. In the last couple of years, the church and probably the world too has experienced massive change. Hasn't it? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Things are not like they were just a few years ago three years, five years. In fact, I think things have gotten a little worse, (laughs) if I'm completely honest. I, I I've been hearing um, this word reset quite a bit. Um, there's been talk about that happening, happening politically. I, I don't know, maybe, we'll see. Uh, I'm not convinced yet. But the workplace, for sure, right? I mean, now you have a lot more people working off-site and there's this shift. Um, I was just talking to a, a commercial realtor and he said that downtown Tulsa now has 80% vacancy, 80% vacancy. It has affected all the restaurants downtown because they're just, people are working from home. They're not necessarily working in office space anymore. That seems like a big shift to me, right? The World Economic Forum um, has even published a book and has a website called The Great Reset. And I'll just tell you right now, I think it's absolutely evil. What they call a reset i 'm watching that one great deal of interest, and certainly here in the church we 've seen uh, a reset um, going on, and we 've talked about this on a number of occasions, but you know we see it theologically even we see it um, in attendance, we see it in how we even interact with people, either online or in person and And so we've seen that kind of reset. And even here at Thrive Church, we've talked about just kind of resetting our priorities. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we just said out loud that really our focus here is to be in the presence of God so that we might be the presence of God to someone else. We want to be in his presence so we can, can be his presence. We want to be with him in order to represent him. That's called loving God and loving people. And I think fundamentally that's what we're called to do. And that's a reset because it's different than when we started, but that's where we feel that God is taking us. And, and we're not the only church. There's a, a whole renewal movement within the church of God that has said, yeah, we're we're in. We want to see this type of of change happen within the church, and so there's, there's the reset, and so some of the resets that we're seeing are good, and some of them are not so good, and some of them are just downright evil, and, and all of these things are, are occurring, and, and when we take them as a whole, and we look at the, the grand scheme of it, it's really easy to stand back and go, oh my gosh, what's happening? And it's a little scary. It is. And, and part of the reason why we're a distracted people is that because we don't want to deal with the fact that everything has kind of changed. And it's a little weird. And we're not really sure where it's going. And we're not sure necessarily how to behave or act properly in the world because you know you, mu- you run the risk of offending everybody these days. <laughs> Upshot is Jesus pretty much ticked everybody off. So that's okay. You're in good company. As long as you're following him. And I think about this, and and I've, I've been pondering this for quite some time. I worry a little bit about the world my kids and my grandkids will live in. How about you? Think about that? But today, this is when we pause and remember a man and a woman outside of an empty tomb. Got several things that are written here. I'm not worried about the reset in the world because I know the God of the reset. And he already reset it 2,000 years ago. Everything else, just details. I serve the God of the reset. This doesn't surprise him. This doesn't terrify him because the tomb is still empty. It's not a one and done deal. It's still empty. That means Jesus is still alive. He's still walking around and he's still interacting with you and me through his Holy Spirit. I serve the God of a reset. What have I got to worry about? What have you got to worry about? But the The thing that strikes me about all of this is that we allow certain things to accumulate, don't we? Worry, fear, anger, stress, all those things. And some of us need to reset in light of the one he's already done need to reset in light of an empty tomb that maybe there's stuff that's going on in your heart that needs a reset. This is a really great day to do that, by the way. Because we gathered here to say, okay, so Adam and Eve did this thing that was really dumb and we all have to suffer those consequences. But Jesus came along and said reset. This reminds me of um when I'm playing certain games <clears throat> as a kid, we had the do-over. There are some games I have a lot of do-overs. Mulligans, is that the other one? <laughs> You know, we talk about second chances and we talk about God of redemption and we talk about all those things, but really, at, at the heart, it's, it's a hard reset. I really do believe that God wants to do something today. And I think there are some of you who are um, carrying around some stuff that has accumulated and built up over time and you know it's there, and you don't know what to do about it, or you're trying to ignore it, or you're distracting yourself from it, or you're medicating it, or you're trying to find coping ways to to cope with it. I, I have those too. But today, the empty tomb says, reset. And so, I would encourage you, maybe be a little uncomfortable for a few moments. Hey, just think about it. The disciples had to wait three days, and even then they didn't understand what was going on <laughs> right away, right? So maybe if you sat for a few moments and you thought about all the stuff that you're carrying around and the feelings that you're having, and you know, maybe there's relationship or work issues, I don't know what they are, God does. Or you might have to say to God, "Lord, I need a reset." Let me tell you, the God of the reset is just waiting for you to ask. I know this to be true. can't prove it to you, but I don't have to. I know that it's true. And so what we're going to do today is collectively we're going to remember um, the events leading up to Resurrection Sunday. We're going to participate in this ancient practice called communion. You know, Jesus gave us that. And the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and was sitting on the table. It was part of the, the meal that they were eating. And he broke it after he blessed it. And then he passed it around to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. Please understand, they had no idea what he was talking about. Not at that moment in time. And then after the supper, he took a cup. Again, something sitting on the table, a very mundane sort of thing. He passed it around to them after he had blessed it, and he said, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so periodically as a, as a church body, we, we participate in This. And at Thrive Church, we have what's called an open table. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, oh, this is for you. Oh my gosh, we're so glad that you can do this with us. And you can participate in that. If you're not a believer, then let it pass by. There's some evidence to suggest that it's detrimental to you if you you take it and you're not a believer. Nobody's gonna look at you funny, I promise. But if you do find yourself In the need of a reset, boy, what a great time to do this. And what I want you to do as we sing this last um, couple of songs, you get to decide when you take your elements. I want you to do it in a moment that's meaningful for you. Maybe you'll see a lyric or you'll sing something that'll catch you or maybe there's a certain chord that will will strike you and and you'll just want to participate and say, okay, now that's what I'm going to take it. If you want to do it together as a family, you do it together as a family. If you want to take it individually, again, it's entirely up to you. This is between you and Jesus, nobody else. Nobody else. But as you take it, I want you to consider very carefully your own heart. Where are you? Where are you with him? Are you feeling distant? Are you feeling close? Are you feeling like things could be better? Are you feeling certain emotions like fear, anger, dread, shame (laughs) this God that we serve this God of the reset stands with his hand over the reset button if there is one and he's willing to do that for you but you've got to take it seriously yourself Heavenly Father you're the God of the reset we have no reset to fear because you already did the big one. And I'm so grateful for that. That there was a man and a woman in a garden in front of an empty tomb. And the imagery is absolutely undeniable. And the tomb is still empty and you're still on the throne. And your children are gathered today to celebrate that. But because of the cares of the world, they bring things in the room with them but you're the God of the reset. And I know that there are people who are dealing with fear. I know there are people who are dealing with intense anger. I know that there are people who are are dealing with a deep sense of shame and insecurity. And I know others have sadness. And you want to reset. To say, I know and I understand. There are some people here who have great joy, happiness. And God says to you, I celebrate with you. I'm so glad that that happened. But to every person in the room, he says, come on, come on, come on, I wanna be with you. I want to be present with you, not just today, but when you wake up tomorrow every day has an early morning where we get to do this all over again. As mercy is new every morning. Aren't you glad? You know, it's really funny to me that we, we talk about all this and, you know, this is the reset. But all of this fundamentally is one thing. It's just good news. Thank you, God, for the good news that life is different because the tomb is empty. And we don't have to live in fear of death or anything else because you conquered all of it. You took the worst that humanity had, you absorbed it, you outlasted it because you're good and you're loving and you're holy and you're God. And because you are still on that throne, you are worthy of all of our praise, you are worthy of our lives, you are worthy of our sacrifice of guilt and shame and anger and sadness. We don't need to have that anymore because you've reset it all. And God, I recognize that in my own words, I just feel inadequate because what you've done is so big, I don't have enough words to even describe it. And it's so far reaching that it, it can reach just the darkest places but you're good. You're so good. Nothing is impossible with you and, and you've settled everything at the cross and at the empty tomb and for whatever reason, you choose to make us a significant part of it. I'm so glad. So God, as we sing, as we remind ourselves again of the reset that you've done and how we get to be a part of it, speak to your people Oh, they need to hear your voice. They need to hear you. Jesus, would you speak to us? When you're ready, you can take communion as we sing. I pray all these things in the mighty, victorious name of Jesus.